You're in the water loop. Hey everyone, this is Travis with Waterloop. I know a lot of people want to use water efficient fixtures, but they're afraid they won't work as well. Let me tell you about High Sierra Showerheads, which was named Best Showerhead by Popular Science. I just installed one at my house and I was genuinely surprised at the power and coverage of the water. High Sierra Showerheads earn the EPA WaterSense label for water efficiency. They use at least 40% less water than the conventional low flow showerheads. High Sierra showerheads are constructed out of metal, so there's no plastic involved, they're very durable, and they're naturally antibacterial. One of my favorite things, these showerheads are made in the USA by a small business located in the Sierra Nevada foothills. Get 20% off with promo code WATERLOOP at HighSierraShowerheads.com. Waterloop, Waterloop, Waterloop. Welcome to Waterloop. This is Travis. Very excited to talk about Alaska Native culture and water issues today with Marlia LaBelle. She is the owner of Turning Pages Consulting and a freelance writer. Marlia, how are you doing? I'm good. How are you? I'm doing well, doing well. Very excited to talk to you. Um, yeah. Let's see, as we as we sit here in June, just for a weather check, it's where I'm in Wilmington, North Carolina. We're headed for the low 90s. And, and oh, wow. Some of our classics, uh, humidity you find in the south also. So what's, uh, what's the day look like there in Alaska? It is in the 60s. Oh, wow. It's... Yeah, it's um it's pretty overcast today, but um I actually would prefer <laughs> this weather than, you know, something like really really hot. Yeah. Last summer, I want to say we had in Anchorage temperatures into like the hundreds, which is not common um, you know, because we're you know, we're situated next to the Chugach Mountains and, you know, we're also by, you know, the coast, by the ocean. So, you know, we normally have this kind of nice, um, like really moderate summer. 60s are, are perfect mm. for me. Yeah. I, I love it. So, <laughs> Well, yeah. I wonder, you know, have you <clears throat> seen kind of the temperatures trending upward in, in recent summers or even in the wintertime or... What what do you what are you seeing just like firsthand? Yes, you know, in Anchorage, I think we're having you know probably a, a more normal summer than we have had in recent years. Mm -hmm. So um, I, I think it's other parts of the state, you know, because Alaska is huge, huge, right? I mean, <laughs> yeah. it's like we have over six thousand miles of coastline. We have over you know. 500,000 square feet of land. So, um, it, there's, you know, extremes, um, all across the state with weather. So, uh, yeah, for sure. I mean, like there are, are places that are experiencing, you know, extreme climate change and, um, Anchorage, we, you know, we're, we're pretty, we're okay mm. here in the city, but it's, it's the other places in, in the state where it can become, you know, disastrous. Sure. Well, we'll, we'll so. dig into that a little bit here as we go on, but, um, could you talk about your, your heritage and, and your background as an Alaska native and, and about the, the people? 
Sure. So I am Sukhbeq uh, on my mom's side, and I am Inupiaq on my dad's side. My mom is from Port Graham, Alaska, which is, um, I think, like 20 miles uh, outside of Homer. So we're on the lower Kenai Peninsula. <clears throat> and my dad's family is from Kotzebue, which is above the Arctic Circle. And I am a tribal member of the native village of Port Graham. And um, so there are 229 federally recognized tribes in Alaska, mm -hmm. which is more than a third of all tribes in the entire country. So, you know, it's, um, I, I think that's one of the things that's, that's really important for people to, to know and be aware of is like, Alaska is huge, but we also have like very rich and diverse tribes, tribal nations and cultures mm. and people. And I, I don't think that that's something that's commonly known. I, I don't really think that I realized that there was that many different tribes of indigenous mm -hmm. people in, in Alaska. Um, I think there's probably most people that you would ask that live in the lower 48, uh, you know, would just say, oh, there's just one, right? There's just the Alaska natives. So that's very interesting. What, um, so do you spent a lot of time in Port Graham or growing up there or, um, what, what's that like? Sure. I, um, uh, well, you know, I was born and raised in Anchorage. Mm -hmm. So, um, which is, you know, the largest city in Alaska. Um, I want to say we have probably more than half of the state's population living in Alaska, in, in Alaska or in Anchorage. Um, but I, I did spend a lot of time in Port Graham, um, growing up. And I mean, even now with my own family, um, yeah. we'll, you know, bring our, our, our daughters to Port Graham. What is it like? It's, um, it's, it's amazing. It's beautiful. It's, uh, it's, a, it's incredible to feel such a connection to a place where I know that my, my grandparents lived, my great grandparents lived and actually help build or establish as, as a community. So, um, you know, our, our ties and our relationship to our land is, is so much different than, um, you know, the rest of the country. I mean, it's, you know, very similar to, you know, the other indigenous uh, the American Indians and Native Americans in Lower 48, I would say it's, um, you know, similar, similar experience. But, um, you know, for us, we say, you know, Alaska Native people have been here for the last 10,000 years, mm. at least. So, wow. Yeah, uh, incredible. And could you talk about the place of, of water? in you know your in your culture and in kind of daily life if you will sure so it's um it and and thank you for saying that because you know i think with a place that has so many tribes and you know so many different cultures you know we often say we can't speak for for all alaska native people and um but i i could say that you know, water is sacred for, for Alaska native people. We view it as sacred. Um, we believe that we are 
part of the environment. We are, you know, just as much a part of the environment as, you know, any other living being in, in the environment. So, um, subsistence is, um, extremely important to, you know, most of rural Alaska, uh, Grocery stores, you know, for one thing, are not, you know, they we don't have large grocery stores in, in our small villages and communities. And, um, but, you know, more importantly than that, it's, it, it is a part of our culture. It's a part of our history that, um, you know, we, we hunt and we fish and we live off of the land. We are a part of the land. So water is uh, very, very important to that. And, I mean, especially for um, where my mom is from, it's, um, you know, we, it is a maritime culture. It is on uh, Port Graham Bay, which is off of the Kachemak Bay. And um, so water is extremely important to, to our culture. And I mean, it, um, you know, also just, you know, transportation. Hmm. Um, one of the things that I, I like to say is that, you know, the Sukhbek people were uh, the original inventor of the what we know as the kayak. Mm. Um, so, if anybody out there in the world enjoys kayaking, there you go. Those are my ancestors. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's awesome. And I, you know, I see a couple of uh, you know iconic water creatures kind of on the wall. You've got the orca back there, and uh, the probably humpback whale tail. Um, coming up so those are pretty uh, prevalent in the around those parts um yeah. i want to ask also about access to to water and sanitation you know drinking water and sanitation um again you've got uh this huge place that Alaska is, you've got the 200 and something different tribes, you've got lots of different villages and situations. So sure, there's variety. Um, but how, yeah, how would you describe kind of the, the situation with access to, to drinking water, clean drinking water, sanitation, how many Alaska natives kind of lack access to those things too? Sure. So according to the state of Alaska, there are about 30 communities in Alaska that do that are considered unserved and um, unserved being where more than half of the community does not have uh, pipes, does not have a covered hall system or does not have a septic or tank. Um, so and in, in terms of like a population number of people, that's about uh, 7,000 people um, that do not have an adequate, you know, uh, supply or, you know, access to water. Mm. And uh, for, for the, you know, for the other communities, you know, that are outside uh, the major cities or what we call hubs, um, we have you know, Alaska is broken down into about 12 different regions because it's so big, you know, so, um, to, to get access to those, those different parts of Alaska, um, there are hub communities that have, um, that provide the access to the other smaller villages. And, um, so those places have, you know, more infrastructure than the smaller communities, but so even, you know, the 30 communities that don't have, um, an adequate, you know, 
supply of water or access to water. The other communities that do have water, their systems are aging and they're, you know, about 50, 60 years old. They're, you know, essentially kind of held together by, you know, what they call band-aids, you know, and um, they're in extreme disrepair. And so for the, for the 30 communities that are considered unserved, uh, they, what they have, what they use and rely on are um, they have to haul water themselves. Um, there is, you know, normally a water treatment plant, but there isn't pipes. So they have to go and collect the water themselves. They have to, you know, bring containers. Um, they're typically in, you know, uh, I want to say that garbage cans they bring you know they're clean garbage cans mm-hmm. um but they have to haul it back to their home and they also use uh what what are called honey buckets um not a glamorous thing it's essentially a bucket that they use inside their home for their uh for their sewer mm-hmm. and so. then go dispose of that uh <clears throat> on a regular basis somewhere yeah the whole i mean the whole process is you know is on dependent on, you know, the homeowner, the mm-hmm. person. They have to take care of their own water, collecting their own water, disposing of their own their own honey bucket. Um, so most of the time, it's a uh, it's a bucket, you know, with a toilet seat. Uh, they'll have, you know, a garbage bag inside the bucket that collects, you know, their um, their urine and their feces, and they have to they take care of it themselves. And so, yeah. And like I said, there's, there's a variety of access. This is kind of like the situation that's the, I guess the lowest, if you will, like the, the least access, but then um, there's probably, you know, communities, villages that have, have some more amenities, if you will, but still not ideal situations. Is that fair to say? It is. Mm-hmm. Um, in some communities, they they are able to have, um, you know, maybe just a, a sewer connection without, you know, a piped water, mm-hmm. or um, you know, maybe they have an, an individual well for their home. Um, so, I mean, there are there are definitely different, um, uh, you know, systems in place for mm-hmm. for the community and and really what is able to to work in the community. So um, I think there are some uh, septic hall Hmm. situations. Like I think there are some villages where they are able to go and, um, you know, have a septic tank that'll go and collect the the waste from the homes, but um, they're still, they still have to go and collect water themselves. Mm -hmm. How much, uh, and so I'm curious then, what what do these conditions mean for people? How does it impact their health, not just physical health, but mental health, emotional health? You know how you how you feel as a person, um, but of course that the physical health piece too. Right. So um, you know, as we all know, water is extremely important for maintaining our health mm-hmm. and well being. Um, we need it for hand washing. We need it for hygiene. Um, we need it to be able to have a clean home, and um, we need it for drinking water as well. I mean, you know, we we oftentimes kind of forget that piece, and um, so 
for communities that don't have, you know, an adequate access to water, what, um, what is typically seen is there's, you know, just a higher incidence in, uh, in, uh, sorry, um, infectious, infectious diseases. Mm. So, I mean, like, for example, COVID-19. So, um, we, also see, you know, pneumonia, skin infections, uh, bacterial infections like gastrointestinal uh, distress. And um, so what happens also when, you know, folks don't have uh, the, uh, the access, they're, uh, they're rationing the amount of water that they use. Um, they're not using enough water. And uh, so the World Health Organization recommends that like the average person in like an extreme uh, conditions, there's like this minimum amount of water that they need to be using, which is roughly about 20 gallons of water per person per day. And for villages that don't have, you know, that don't have a pipe system that have to haul water themselves, they're using very very you know low numbers of water it's like maybe about nine Mm. in some cases nine gallons of water per person per day for for all of those things so hand washing drinking water um cleaning and whatnot so cooking is another so what happens is they're um they have uh, a hand basin like they're washing their hands in a basin and they're reusing that water, you know, all day because they have to. (laughs) So, I mean, like they don't, they're not able to, you know, just have this, you know, endless amount of water. So they're, they're reusing the water in their hand basin and, um, you know, not drinking enough water. So they're also, you know, doing other things other than drinking water. Right. So they're drinking, consuming, um, sugary sweetened beverages, which, you know, also leads to, to other, you know, health disparities. Sure. Wow. Um, yeah. Like you said, and that, and all those other, uh, physical issues that can come up, come from this rationing and reusing of water. Um, well, let's, let's, I guess, turn to the positive side, if you will. And, um, what, what kinds of things have been done, can been done, can be done, um, you know, are planned to try to improve that access and sanitation. You know, what are, what progress has been made? What are some success stories? I guess there's 10 questions in one there, but, uh, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that's okay. Um, yeah, I, I, every, I don't know. I don't know. I don't want to say everyone. I mean, but people are, are aware that, um, at least within Alaska that, you know, that we do have communities that are unserved, that, aren't getting enough water that aren't having, you know, their optimal health. And, um, so the Alaska native tribal health consortium actually designed, uh, what is called the portable alternative sanitation system. Mm. And that is for communities that are, uh, unserved. And, um, so it is essentially an in-home sanitation system, there, um, there is a separating toilet, 
Uh, there's a water storage tank that's inside the home where um, they can have, you know, 50 or 100 gallons of water um, for their home. And that water storage tank is also connected to a low flow sink. So um, people, you know, they're able to wash their hands and have hand washing. And um, so that has made you know, some improvements for, for some communities that are, uh, that are using them. And, uh, so right now there are, sorry. No, yeah, we should, we can tell people, uh, well, I guess viewers and listeners that you live near, uh, near a, a local airport. And as people probably know, there's a lot of, uh, a lot of small you know, flights, small planes, right. Uh, that people use to get around out there. So, uh, and yeah. it's summer and a, a nice day in Alaska. So off they go. <laughs> anyway, um, yeah. you were, you were saying that, uh, the, that, that system has helped in, in some communities and in some households. Yes. Yeah. Um, so, uh, I, it is kind of more, more widely being used in, um, in Muktavik, which is the new village site for New Talk, um, who has had to relocate because of climate change. Um, but it's also being used in Kivalina. And um, they're also another community that is in the process of uh, relocating. Mm. Um, but it's, it's more widely used in those two communities. There are some communities in the interior where it's also being used, but... Um, I guess in some ways it is still in the research and development phase. Mm. You know, they're still um, making improvements mm. to it. And um, I believe that, you know, there will be efforts made to, to have it more widely, you know, distributed beyond those, those handful of communities that, that have it now. Mm. Uh, I used to work at the U.S. Environmental Protection Agency and their Office of Water in D.C., and I know they EPA has a program, um, you know, to assist with water and sanitation for for uh, Alaska natives. Um, has that does that program make an impact? It does, and I, I want to say that they have been involved with um, some of the rel relocation effort planning for our envi environmentally threatened communities. Mm -hmm. And um, so in terms of, uh, you know, working with the <clears throat> local EPA coordinators, uh, I think they've, they've done a really great job of uh, really instilling the, the need for, you know, training and mm -hmm. uh, getting, getting the people in the communities, you know, really, being able to take control and uh, you know, have some, you know, tools and be able to, to do their own planning. Mm. Yeah. Makes sense. Um, you know, I, I wanted to ask about uh, kind of at, at this time right now, there's really in our country, uh, especially in the lower 48, there's all this, you know, upheaval around social justice and equity and people of, of color, uh, you know, being disproportionately impacted in so many different ways. Um, and environmental justice being part of that, right? You can't have equity, you can't have social justice without environmental justice. Um, what, what's, is this, uh, is kind of the, <laughs> the turmoil that's happening in the lower 48 and it, 
being felt in Alaska? Is there some, yeah, just kind of what's, what's going on there in that regard? Yes, absolutely. I, um, actually me, myself took my daughters to, to, uh, protest, you know, after George Floyd was, was murdered. Mm -hmm. And, um, so I, I did want to share this uh, statement from the Alaska Federation of Natives and, uh, AFN for short, it is our oldest and largest statewide native organization. And um, so they issued this statement earlier this month that they stand in solidarity with the Black Lives Matter movement. And I would say um, that is the general, you know, feeling amongst, you know, Alaska Native people is that we stand in solidarity with um, those impacted by, you know, racism, by institutional racism, by, um, you know, just being marginalized mm -hmm. and uh, efforts to, you know, essentially erase us as a people. And um, so, you know, we have experienced, Alaska Native people have experienced this. We know what it feels like. We know what it looks like. And um, for sure, we, I want to say that there's been, um, there's been protests all across the state, even in, you know, little tiny communities. So, yeah. absolutely. And, and is the feeling that the, the environmental uh, justice, that the disproportionate, you know, access to water and sanitation is part of, part of that bigger picture? Absolutely. So, you know, I mean, I, I think that is, you know, a part of, you know, a part of what it feels like to be a marginalized uh, person, community. And so, you know, like I said, we know what it looks like. We know what it feels like. We know what those injustices are. Mm -hmm. So um, absolutely. And um, there are, you know, other Native communities in the lower 48 that are definitely experiencing climate change, you know, maybe not to the degree that villages here in Alaska are, um, you know, but certainly there is flooding, there is coastal erosion. Um, so um, I would say, you know, it's it's one of those things where um, it's, you know, people can see that uh, where there is, you know, a lack of funding or a lack of assistance. Sure. Sure. Well, on on climate change, you've you've mentioned it a couple times, and it's something I definitely have a few questions about. Um, you know, you've mentioned communities that even have to be re relocated. Um, so, could you just talk broadly about the climate change impacts on Alaska natives? Sure. So, um, yes, in Alaska, we are experiencing rapid climate change like highly accelerated more than any other you know place in the country where um what we have in alaska and especially in the more northern parts of alaska is what's called permafrost and the the permafrost is uh ground that um you know where i want to say like 70 percent of it stays frozen all year round um but because of rising temperatures that permafrost is melting and liquefying and if you have a building if you have infrastructure you know um that's going to get impacted by that that melting that permafrost 
you know, degradation. That's um, so we have um, in 2009, the, um, the GAO uh, developed a report on environmentally threatened communities. So, you know, mind you, this was like over 10 years ago, there were 31 communities and this is all in Alaska that were considered environmentally threatened, but um, climate change has not slowed down since then. And um, so we actually have uh, 73 communities that meet the criteria for environmentally threatened. Um, there are a whole bunch more that are, you know, experiencing some levels of, of climate change, but not to the degree where, you know, the village, the community needs to make some serious planning for, you know, saving critical infrastructure or having to make the tough decision to move. Mm. Yeah. And those those communities that have had to move, um, or, you know, are in the process, what's, what's that like? I mean, um, so is that because the permafrost, is that because of sea level rise? Like what, what's led to those relocations and then what's that process of relocating like? Sure. So, uh, there has been just one community in Alaska that has, that has relocated, mm. Um, some of its community members, and that is New Talk. And so uh, they've, uh, it, it's been, you know, many years of planning. And um, so just this last year in um, October, September, uh, families were actually able to to begin to move their entire house, their, all their, you know, family members to uh, their new village site, Muktivik. And um, so, and it's also, um, you know, it's, it's a very expensive, it's, you know, as I said, many years of planning. And um, so altogether, I think the entire relocation for the native village of Newtalk uh, will be upwards of 150 million wow. to, move a, to move a village of about, you know, 400 people. And um, so they're, they're going in phases. So uh, community members that were closest to the erosion, um, particularly elders, um, had priority to move to Muktavik. And Newtalk, my goodness, experienced it all. They experienced uh, you know, permafrost degradation, they experienced erosion. And they experienced flooding, so essentially, their entire village was just, you know, getting swallowed by water. You know, kind of on all sides. On one side, on the river side, they're experiencing erosion, but on the other side, they were also experiencing um, flooding. Mm. So, yeah. And what um, <clears throat> what was it like? for those people, you know, to have to leave a place that was their home, maybe it was their home for generations, um, sure. to, to leave this place and go, go someplace new, aside from the logistics of it, you know, the, the, uh, emotional, spiritual side of that experience. Right. Um, you know, I, I would say for the adults and the elders, I, I think there was a sense of hope that, um, you know, life is going to be better for them in Muktavik. Um, they're going to be on 
more stable, solid ground. Uh, they're going to have better access to, you know, water and sanitation. They're, um, the air is going to be, you know, better, have a, you know, better quality air in Makhchivik than in New Talk. Um, and, I, you know, this is something that's, you know, probably hard for people to, um, to visualize, but, but New Talk is um, what we call a boardwalk hmm. community. There's, there's no roads. And um, I mean, not even a, not even like, you know, gravel roads. It's, um, it's just all wooden boardwalks. It's very muddy. Hmm. It's, you know, tundra. And um, so it's, I guess it's kind of hard to, you know, really explain hmm. um, without, um, you know, people really being able to see it and experience it firsthand. But um, so the air is going to be, you know, much better in, in Muktivik. I would say the younger generation, um, I think had a harder time with, um, with moving to Muktivik, you know, new talk is the only home that they've known, you know? So, mm. um, but for the, for the adults and the elders, I, I would say that they were for sure, <laughs> looking forward to improved housing and improved health. Mm, yeah. Um, more broadly, uh, when it comes to climate change and the impacts that are happening there rapidly and uh, so intensely, um, what else is just kind of being done about resilience uh, and adapting to this, um, you know, to these impacts? Sure. So um, Kivalina is also in the process of, of moving, of relocating. Um, they have built a road to their new village site. And uh, so it's, um, but I mean, but for, but for communities that, that are experiencing climate change, they are, you know, just having to make adaptations to their community. They're having to make adjustments. Um, there's, you know, efforts to build, you know, uh, sea walls to protect the community from erosion or, you know, extreme storms that uh, they might experience. It's um, weather, I think, has become very unpredictable uh, for much of Alaska, um, particularly in, you know, the fall and spring, which is when, you know, I think that there are, you know, more storms than um, you know, in recent memory. Hmm. So that, that seems to be something that's happening in a lot of places is just this unpredictability, like the wild swings in, in precipitation and intense storms and just things coming through. I mean, I've feel like I've witnessed that in the mid Atlantic here on the, you know, the East coast where I am, it's just like, just kind of wacky weather patterns. Um, yeah, you know, it's, uh, I don't know. I, I think it's, um, I think, I think it just, it makes, it makes life a little more unsettling, a little more scary, a little, mm -hmm. you know, when we aren't able to, to predict the weather, it's, um, it can, yeah, it can be challenging. And I think that there has been, you know, probably some studies done that, that showed the emotional toll that can take on, um, communities experiencing, you know, climate change. So, mm -hmm. For sure, it's um, you know, it's strange, strange yeah. times we're living in. Um, 
one, one thing I didn't have on my list, but just popped into my head, uh, is Bristol Bay. Um, and I just, I, I know that there's been a year for years, there's been, you know, efforts to get this pebble, pebble mine built, but this is like one of the world's most amazing fisheries for the, for salmon. Um, and right. yeah, just kind of wondering about perspective on, you know, tapping into water resources in that way. Now, I guess that's not tapping into water resources, it's tapping into the mining, but it could be jeopardizing a water resource. Um, yeah. Absolutely. I'm not, <laughs> I'm not, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not from the Bristol Bay region. Sure. I think it, it's always a little, it can be a little, it can be challenging. It can be dicey for, for us as native people to, to, you know, speak mm. on a, a place that we're, we're not from. Um, I, it's a, I, and I would say that probably the vast majority of the, the people in the region, the Alaska native people in the region in Bristol Bay are opposed mm -hmm. to the mine. Mm -hmm. um, there are, you know, a small minority um, that support it. Job, and, jobs, right? Yeah. Right. Economic development and jobs, absolutely. Um, you know, that is a challenge for for most of rural Alaska is, you know, there are very few jobs. There's, um, especially now, you know, with the pandemic, you know, it's, uh, and our oil prices declining and um, we've actually had to shut down production of oil mm. um because of the pandemic so um and that's you know our major source of um you know revenue for the state of alaska mm -hmm. so um there's i mean i would say that people are you know divided on on the issue mm. i think what is um you know troubling too is um you know, making any sort of changes to, you know, the policies that are in in place to protect water and, you know, open, you know, places up for mining or, you know, oil and gas development. And um, I think what is extremely crucial is, you know, getting the, you know, the people who live there, you know, like you have to, involve them you know it has to be you know something that they are completely involved in at the very beginning as soon as possible as early as possible and um <clears throat> i I, pers I personally do not support the pebble mine project mm -hmm. i um i think there are probably better ways that the project could you know, could take place or. Yeah. Sure. Well, good. Well, I, um, I'm so glad we caught up, um, and you could share all this perspective. Um, like I said, I think that, uh, you know, a lot of people in the, in the, lower 48 here aren't aren't that versed in in uh alaska and and uh alaska natives and and so i really really appreciate you sharing uh, all the information and perspective thank you for having me waterloop 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 the waterloop podcast is sponsored by high sierra showerheads the smart stylish choice for conserving water energy and money while enjoying an invigorating shower 
Use promo code WATERLOOP for 20% off at HighSierraShowerHeads.com. You're in the Waterloop. 